Well, if that didn't bless you, I, I think your blessing's broken. Amen? Man. I, I am thankful that everyone is here. I mean, it just, it, Aaron's not the only one. It's like, is, does it just seem crazy right now? Just like, his life just nuts? I'm not the only I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But man, I'm thankful to see everybody here this morning and just, man. Um, we'll have Aaron come back and sing before. And, but you all get a little preview. You got a little, little mini preview tonight at 4.30 in the pavilion. Uh, he's got his whole band here tonight. And it's going to be just a, fi a fantastic evening. We're going to have concerts. And we're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers and all kind of fun stuff. Uh, we've got cookies the ladies have, have made. And uh, looking forward to this. But I just... Uh, We'll be in Revelation chapter 2. Well, we'll start in 1, but we're, you know me all. I'm going to jump into a couple different places, but uh, we're going to start this. If you want to turn to Revelation, if you don't know where that's at, it's the very last book of the Bible. That's where it's at. So I, I just want to start this morning and just ask God to speak to us this morning and just to be present with us, that He would be glorified through what we say, through what we, what we do there this morning, that all of this would be for His glory. So join us, join me in this prayer. Father, I ask right now that you calm our hearts, calm our minds, that you'd help us to stay focused on your word. Father, I pray that you'd cleanse my heart of any iniquity and any sin, Father, that you just fill me completely with your Holy Spirit and that I would speak truth to this room and that you would be glorified and made much of. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So I, I do want I, I wanted to start a little mini series through the uh, just just through the fall till we get into Christmas um, about the seven churches that are in Revelation and just and just talk about this the seven groups of churches and so I, I thought this would be a, a fun a fun thing to, to look at and to read and to go through and to study and just see where God takes it and what God shows us through it. I mean, just in the study and the prep so far, God showed me some really things that are glaring in my life where I needed to repent and things that I needed to deal with and, and encourage me in certain areas. And, and so I, I just want us to jump into this thing. John, John was sentenced to solitary confinement on the island of Patmos. But if you Google the island of Patmos now, today, it actually looks sort of kind of like an, an island tropical paradise. Pretty neat, but when so when John was put onto that island, um, it was deserted, and he was left there to just pretty much die. And the reason he was placed there, well, we find out in John chapter, or, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter one, verse nine, it says, "I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom." The patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on the account of the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we know that he was placed on the island as a punishment. For what reason? Preaching the gospel. He shared the gospel. He was preaching the gospel. He said, man, we don't like this. They, I mean, they, they did some horrible things to John. They just finally said, throw him out there. He can't do any trouble out there. He can't, he can't do anything crazy out there. But you can't can find God. <laughs> right? So what happens? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What's the Lord's Day? Today. Sunday. So he was having church on the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, 
Write the things you see in, the, in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sarda, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire, and his feet were like bronze, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roaring, rushing of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, the sun shining in its full strength. And so you've got this picture. Paul is alone on the island and he turns around and he sees this incredible, holy, sovereign God of the universe. And he sees the seven lampstands. And he's like, well, why is, what are seven lampstands? The seven lampstands indicate or are a sign or a symbol of the churches, the seven churches. And Jesus was in the midst of the church. Amen? That's where Jesus is Right this moment, he's in the midst of his church. He's in the midst of his church, protecting and guiding and leading and, 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 and guard, guarding us. He's in the midst of us. And although the seven churches were actual historical churches in Asia Minor, they represent the type of churches that exist throughout all of the church age. And what Christ says about the churches are relevant to this church today in 2020. So these letters, you heard what God told John. He said, get a book. I want you to write what you see, what you see put it in a book, and we're going to send it to the seven churches. So he writes this letter to the, to the churches of Asia Minor. They were written to these churches, and they're in, I didn't, I didn't know, they're in modern-day Turkey. And if you look at a map, if you Google a map of the seven churches in Revelation, they're all relatively close to one another. They're not, they're not you know, just thousands of miles apart. They're in one country in what is now modern-day Turkey. They're all sort of kind of together in this area. And the first one of the churches that, that, that come in, in order here is the church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus was a thriving metropolis. Like this place was the place to be. It was a modern day, modern city that had every all the amenities, all the stuff that you could ever want. It was a port city. It was literally three miles off of the, uh, the GNC. It was literally right that had all of anything, everything you could want. Commerce, the, 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 the most popular and modern market. Everything you could ever want was in Ephesus. It was a thriving city. It was the gateway to Asia. And it was the center of worship. Not of Jesus. The worship of Artemis. The Greek god Artemis. Or the Roman god Diana. She was the goddess of fertility. That huge... In the research that I was doing, the temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. So people came there just simply to see the temple. The temple itself was something to behold. It was absolutely stunning to see. 
it was in, in the, the measurements, it was a foot of NFL football field and a half long. It had over 120 marble columns that were inside of it all the way around it. So it was this gigantic, huge, massive structure that was just, it was literally called one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, people came from all over to worship false gods. There was a temple of prostitution because obviously Diana was the, the god of fertility. So they had a temple of prostitution. They had all the, this stuff happening in worship. It, it, uh, it, it, was a, it was a rough place. And then on top of that, there was another place to worship the emperor. You had to go and play, pay homage to the emperor and worship the emperor. Uh, it, it, was, it was a place where a lot of fake, false religions permeated the city. And so it was, it was a tough place to be a Christian and to worship Jesus Christ. So the church had to know their stuff. They had to be theologically sound. They had to have their theology in line. Because if they didn't, they could get into error quite quickly. Paul even ministered in, in Ephesus for three years. Um, he, he was, it was quite the place to be. I mean, anybody and everybody that's in the Bible came through Ephesus at one point. So in the midst of all this modern architectural beauty and cultural sophistication, you have the church. The, the letter is delivered to the church and it's read out loud in a corporate gathering just like this. So go to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, I just want to stop you right there. When you read the word angel, what do you think of? Flappy wings, right? Cherubim. Just a, a beautiful angelic creature. Angel just means messenger. It's actually, you could read that says, to the pastor of the church. So, I'm technically your angel. <laughs> okay. Jamie's telling me to stop. <laughs> to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, the seven stars. This is, once again, it's a picture of the seven churches. He's, he holds the churches in his hand. So if the, if the churches are in his hand, they're secure, right? So they've got, they've got him in his hand. They've got him in his hand. He's purifying. He's guarding. He's watching over. So he's got these seven churches in his hand, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, he starts to give instructions. So here's the first thing he says in verse 2. I know your works. Your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those that are evil, how you tested those who call themselves apostles, and yet they are not. Now, let me just go ahead and just preface this. If you see anybody on TV say they're an apostle whatever, apostle Jim, apostle Chuck, I want you to immediately understand they are lying to you. The only people that were ever apostles were people that were directly working, with, had interactions with Jesus Christ. You say, wait a minute. Paul was an apostle, but he wasn't one of the disciples. How did, he, how did he get to call himself an apostle? Because he had an interaction with the God of the universe, with Jesus. He interacted and talked with Jesus. Remember on the road to Damascus? Who showed up? Jesus. He said, I am Christ, the one you persecute. So he by default, gets to call himself an apostle because he had an interaction directly with Jesus. Pretty awesome. 
So they say, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found to be apostles. They're found to be false teachers. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Wait a minute, God hates something? Yeah. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this was read out loud to the church of Ephesus from John. And so this church, like I said, in the verse 7, that the first thing you see, the seven stars represents the seven churches and the seven pastors that are in those churches. So you've got the seven stars, the pastors, you've got the seven lampstands, which are the churches in this, this region. They're the light. They're the light that shows off the gospel to the world. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 and 15 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, but instead he puts it on a stand where it gives light to the entire house so everyone can see. So this is addressed to the pastors and to the churches of this area. And so you've got verses 2 and 3. The church, this church, has their theology straight. Like they have to have their theology straight. Because why? They live in, in the midst of a culture that is absolutely just running rampant with falsehoods. With false theology. Man, we are living in a day right now when you've got churches that are filled with horrific false theologies. So we have to have our theology straight. So God's telling this church, listen... You've got this thing figured out. You're doing great. You've got your theology in line. That is really great that you've done that. You've not grown weary. Now listen to this. This church at this time, when, when God tells them you've not grown weary in doing this, for over 40 years since its founding, this church remained faithful to the word of God. They had a desire to maintain proper respect for the Lord's reputation and name. They had the theology of God proper. They had it all set out, lined out. They had all their T's crossed and all their I's dotted. They knew everything that they needed to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew it. They were theologically sound. And then Jesus lowers the boom. Starts with some good news. Sandwiches the bad news. And then ends it up on the other side of the sandwich with some good news. But he lowers the boom in the middle. He says, but I have this against you. Yeah, you've got your theology right. Yes, you know your eyes and your T's. You know where to cross them and dot them and do all the things you need to do. Yes, you've done right. But here's where you're failing. This is what I've got against you. And when Jesus says, I've got something against you, you probably ought to pay attention. Amen? And so this is what he says. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. So God's saying, listen, 
I've got this against you. If you don't fix this, if you don't repent, I'm going to shut your church down. That's, that's some strong language. Sometimes I think what happens is people get their theology right. They get their Bible, Bible knowledge correct. And they can, they can replace actually loving Jesus for loving information about Jesus. I think a lot of people in the circles that I run, man, everybody's got their theology pretty on, on, on par. But I think a lot of these guys, are, they're cold, calculated, and have zero passion. That's great you've got information about Jesus, but I think sometimes what happens in these circles that I run in and I see, and we get our theology right, and we love the idea of Jesus. We love information about Christ. We digest and read books and get our Greek right and our Hebrew right and all this stuff right, which I think is vital and important. Don't think I'm not minimizing it because I am not. You need to have your theology correct. But if you're in love with information about Christ, but you're not in love with Christ, there's a problem. There's a problem. The passion for Jesus can sometimes become cold, calculated, and mechanically orthodox. And that could be dangerous. This is no substitute for the true love and passion for Jesus Christ. So Jesus says in verse 5, remember. Like, just take a minute and remember. Look how far you've fallen. Like he's, that's, that's what the text says. Look how far you fall. Look, for 40 years, this church has been going strong. But man, there was a point in which you just sort of kind of, the, what's that old, that old song? You never close your eyes anymore. You can live. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. You've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love. Remember that, that, that song? You've lost that love and feeling. Where, where, where are you? I've gone off the rails. Let's, we better get it back here. Jamie's like, oh my gosh. She says every once in a while she gets armpit sweat when I get up. She's like, I have no idea what he's going to say. She has access to the notes. She's like, oh, that's not on the notes. That, it was just, we got that one for free today. But he says, look how far you've fallen. So for 40 years you've had this church going, and, you're, and it's, you've been doing incredible. Like, you've got your theology in line, but man, look how far you've fallen. He says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. I'm going to shut your church down. I think of Psalms 51. I, I, I shared this uh, Psalms with the youth group Wednesday night. I, I love this, this idea. David says this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. So he's in this prayer of repentance. So Jesus tells the church you need to repent. Remember where you've fallen. You've lo- you're, not, you're not in love with me anymore. You're in love with the information about me, man, but you don't really love me. You don't really love me. I think, about G- I think about Jesus and Peter when they're having that conversation after Peter had denied him three times. Jesus looks at him while they're eating breakfast and he says, Peter, do you love me? Well, of course, Lord, I love you. He asks me, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. You know that I love you. And then the last thing he says, because when we read in the Bible, it says, do you love me three times? But the actual thing at the end of it, it's just, do you feel you also? Do you even like me? 
you, that's, that's the last thing he says to Peter. But do you even like me? And Peter's grieved. And he's like, oh my gosh. God, I'm so sorry. And he repents and God restores him and reconciles him. This is the same idea in this text. Remember from where you've fallen. Look how far you've come. Like 40 years ago, man, you were in love with me. You were passionate about me. You had a desire to know me. But now you've become so cold and orthodox. You've been so on guard against false religion. You've studied. You know your stuff. But, man, you've lost your passion for me. Some of us in the room have lost our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember, remember the moment that God saved you? How excited you were up the, the light bulb clicked and you were like whoa Jesus did that for me I gotta go tell everybody I've got this passion I've got this desire to know Christ I love him I want to know him I want people to know him like I know him and then you fast forward 10 20 30 40 50 years and man you yes you know your theology you know where there's falsehoods but man do you love him like you used to love him do you love him like you used to love him? Jesus was serious. He's like, if you don't do, deal with this right now, I'm going to shut the church down. The love of information about Jesus is no substitute for actually loving Jesus. And I, I want to just, let's just run over here. I want to skip to verse six because we're going to deal with the Nicolaitans later in this study because they're, they're dealt with more. Intensely, they were just like, and then, just so you know, the Nicolaitans were a group of people who said they were Christians, but they really weren't. So that's how that ends. So look at verse 6. I'm sorry, not verse 6. Skip verse 6. Go to verse 7. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit has, to the, has for the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Like, that was the thing that got pulled away from Adam and Eve. Like, Jamie and I were just talking about it. I guess you got ladies talked about this Wednesday night about the, the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and, and, the, and the, the tree of life. The thing that was pulled away from Adam and Eve, they could no longer eat of the tree of, the, of, of, of life. When we hear this and we understand and we follow and we repent, look at the gift that's given to us. He who has ears, let him hear this. To the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat this tree of life in the paradise of God. Like we're given this opportunity to be able to follow Jesus. According to John's own words here, like to be a Christian is to be an overcomer. That is, I mean, they're the same. Overcomer and a Christian are the exact same thing. And those that are true believers will enjoy the fruit that God has promised his believers from the beginning. Like he's going to set everything right. And those that conquer, those that fall in love with Jesus, everything changes. How many of us have just become cold and calculated in our, in our relationship with God? Like I, I think about marriages. I think about, because that's, that's the picture of what, like, falling in love with God. Falling in love with Jesus. How many guys remember when you first got married? Fellas? Come on. Y'all going to leave me out here on the limb again? Come on. Don't saw off the limb and do like, all right, Caleb, you're on your own. Come help me. How many guys remember when you first got married? Okay. And you remember, like, what drew you to that girl? 
I don't know, forget, man, I was on a toothpaste aisle in Walmart. I was like, whoo, hello, beautiful. She was in nursing scrubs. She's like, I wasn't beautiful, I was in nursing scrubs. I'm like, I know, hello, nurse. Right? Like I, I, like, I was like, man, this girl is amazing. And then the more I got to know her, I was like, man, I really like this girl. And then, like, we dated, and then we got married, and I was like, golly, I love her. And when she would sit in the car, I mean, she, in the car, she'd try to get as close to me as possible. And fast forward 15, 20, 30, I mean, some of you guys have been married for a long time. And you're sitting in the car... She's no longer reaching over. You're no longer reaching over to grab that hand. She's over there looking out the window. You're looking out the window, not paying attention, not really caring. There's no passion. There's no desire. There's no love. It's just sort of kind of a mechanical. Y'all got your stuff in, in line. Yeah, you love her, but eh, you're not really showing it. And you, 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 you come to the point where you're just like, why are we even married? And you see these people getting divorced after 40, 50 years of marriage. And you're just like, you've got to rekindle the relationship. You've got you've to fall in love every day. You've got to wake up and say, man, I choose her. I want her. Like, this is the idea here. Remember from where you fall. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had for me. Like you've, you've just abandoned it. It's no longer there. Yeah, you say you love me. You've got the information about me. You say you think you love me. Really? Do you love me? Do you really love me? This is what I want you to do. I want you to repent. Remember from where you... Remember the moment that you fell in love with me. And just fall in love with me all over again. Remember that moment that it just clicked. The Holy Spirit ignited the flame and you were like... Oh my goodness, this God is so incredible. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He is magnificent. I want him. And he wants me. Remember those moments and just say, I, I want to come back to that. That's what he's saying. And listen, he's saying, if you don't, if this church in Ephesus doesn't, and you've got all this stuff going on, and you forget the, to love me, I'll shut your doors. And that's, man, that's the, our church. I want our church to be known as a church that is in love with Jesus. That we are on fire, love for Christ. That we have a desire to know Him, to want to see Him, to want to worship Him, to want to pursue Him. He's the God of the universe that I want to be with. Like, I love Him. We, want to, we need to love Him more than we love this world. We need to love Him more than we love the information about Him. I mean, if I just told you information about my wife and was in love with the information about our, our story, but I wasn't in love with her, there'd be a problem. You, you, and you guys could probably see that. If it was just, yeah, I know, Jamie and I got married on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, and we met in Walmart. And, like, it was just this cold, calculated information. But if I tell you the story about how I met her, like, my eyes light up. And let me tell you about, like, I saw her. I was like, wow. You know, I just, I got excited. I get excited. But, like, yeah, I know Jesus. And he saved me from my sins. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish. If God's for us, who could be against us? 
And just this cold mechanical, yeah, you got your facts right, but man, when's the last time you said, oh, gosh, like the God of the universe actually likes me and I love him and he's amazing and he's fantastic. When's the last time we just got excited about who Jesus is? When's the last time we fell in love? It's been, what's that old pace, Connie? Well, that's been too long, Pilgrim. Like, it's time for us to just strip away all the crazy and all the information and say, God, I want to come back to loving you. I want to worship you. I want to know you the way you want me to know you. So I'm going to have Aaron come back up. We're going to sing for a few minutes. And I just want us to worship the God of the universe. Like, that's the thing that I want for our church, is that we would just want to know Christ above all else. That we want to worship Him. That we want to know Him. And just to, to fall in love with Him. Not to, have, not to fall in love with the information about Him. Although it's good to have good information about Him. Like, I don't want us to just simply fall in love with the information. I want us to fall in love with the actual God who wrote the information. This is a love letter to the saints. And sometimes my wife writes me little notes. And she'll put things in there that you guys don't understand. It's a love letter to me, not to you. And if you don't understand the love letter, maybe it's because you don't know the God of the universe. And maybe you need to repent and you need to confess and you need to get saved. You have that opportunity. First John 1 John 1.9 says if you confess your sins, the thing that's keeping you from having a vibrant, authentic, beautiful relationship with the God of the universe is your sin. Not your wife's sin, not your husband's sin, not your kid's sin, your sin. And if you just simply repent, or we just if you repent and remember from where you've fallen, God will forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you and to cleanse you from everything. Doesn't matter what it is, he can forgive you and he can change your life. Amen? And I just, I believe that for us as a church, and I long for that for us as a church. If you're here today, you may go, I want to give my heart to Christ. I'm going to be here. I'm going to, like, this is the invitation. You get to come and dine. Come and, Psalms 34, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And just rest and know that He's good, that He's God, and He loves you. Like, don't forget that, that He's in love with you. And He wants you to love Him back. So my, my hope for us today is that that would be where we would go with this. We'd remember where we've fallen and we'd repent and we'd fall in love with Jesus all over again. Like that's where I want us to start. I love that that's how the, the start of the church comes in. If you fall in love with Christ first, everything else will line up properly. If you love Jesus right, everything, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. My heart is dedicated. I don't have to change my behavior. If I fall in love with Jesus, He's going to change my behavior. I don't have to, oh, i got to work on myself. No, just come to Christ and lay yourself out before Him and let Him do the work and change your life. And then all the other stuff will come. Don't try to change your behavior and then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and let Him change your behavior. Because He wants your heart. That's what He wants more than anything. Jesus wants your heart. And that's my hope for us today is that we would find Christ to be the heart changer that he is. And that we'd fall in love with that. Just stand here.
You've been listening to a sermon audio resource from the ministries at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, Kansas. We pray that this encourages you and challenges you on your walk this week with Christ. To find out more about what's going on at First Baptist Church in Cedarvale, you can go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. Thank you and God bless.